1: I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford. Today, markets are once again in rally mode. The Bulls trying to make it two very big days in a row. How should investors be thinking about this bounce? What are the reasons? The Dean of Valuation, Aswat DeMotoran, is going to join us. Plus, what can Amazon tell us about Q4 and the overall market? We'll take a look at what they're seeing in terms of cloud, contracts, enterprise inventories for retail, and more. Finally, you're not going to want to miss our exclusive with Ark Invest's Kathy Wood coming up in about 15 minutes. Buying more Tesla after that eight and a half percent drop yesterday, John. Yeah, we gotta continue talking
2: about this rally we're seeing this morning. Uh, semiconductors outperforming once again. WCLD, Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF, on pace. For its best day since early August. Meanwhile, Fang, remember that up big as well. But Amazon, the largest mega cap winner. But D, this is a rally of the risky. That's what's leading it. Stitch Fix is up 14 yeah. percent. Affirm and Peloton up 12. Block and Shopify up 11. And Bitcoin above 20k. Um, you know, up three percent. No question that what's leading this is the stuff that investors over the past couple months, several weeks, have gotten very queasy about.
3: Yeah, those macro themes is what you're pointing to. So rally of the risky, rally of the unprofitable, rally of the growth, whatever you want to call it. It's those beaten down names that are higher today. Uh, And just against that macro backdrop, I mean, you've got the 10-year yield down below 3.6, the two-year getting closer to four, those job openings this morning, um, Carl, at the Fed, isn't quite focused on inflation as much as it is the job market for their next moves. Some positive signs here. But we were here before, right? Remember the beginning of the summer earnings? They weren't as bad as some were expecting. There was a relief rally, but we hit new lows after that. So it's a good day to have Kathy Wood, uh, Carl, who has actually been buying in this environment. She continues um, on the dip. So we'll see what she has to say about it.
1: Yeah, well, uh, Bank of Australia cutting or hiking not as much. Big dovish surprise uh, around the world. And then jolts, as you point out, one of the biggest drops for jolts On record, uh, which, uh, in the words of Nick Timoros of The Wall Street Journal, is exactly what the Fed was looking for. Uh, So in some ways, it's not like what we were seeing earlier in the summer, Mm -hmm. as we have uh, the S&P up 105 points. Uh, With the rally ongoing, is it time for investors to come off the sidelines and start deploying some capital? Let's bring in the dean of valuation, the NYU Stern professor, Aswath Damodaran. Professor, we we talked about some of the reasons for uh, the bounce here last couple days. How do you think uh, valuations are pricing all that in?
4: Now, I I valued the S&P and the NASDAQ at the end of September, and I felt that they both looked close to fairly valued then. In a a sense, I think markets, I think, are worrying about catastrophic risk. I mean, when things change as much as they have this year with interest rates and exchange rates, I mean, systems get put under stress. I mean, any highly levered companies, you're going to worry about what is this going to do? and i think we had we had a bit of a, a you know a selling driving the market to levels i think that were w- that were way too low so i think some of this adjustment is uh, is an, is a correction to that overreaction so from a value perspective i think the nasdaq was in a pretty good place at the start of this quarter so i i think for looking at the overall index i you know i i feel that this correction was overdue
1: do you um do you think that we have more wood to chop, either on valuation, on multiples, or on, on earnings estimates for next year. Anything that could drag us below uh, the 35 uh, 50 say, that we saw uh, in, the, in the depths of this recent drop?
4: As I said, the, the biggest worry I have is the kinds of moves we've seen in the market this year, the macro variables, interest rates and exchange rates. I worry about some companies not being able to take that. You saw that with the worries about pension funds a few weeks ago, the rumors about Credit Suisse over the weekend. And that's part of what happens when, when macro variables move that much. So my qualified answer is, and with that worry in mind, I want to steer away from companies which are close to the edge. You know, So as an investor, I'm clearly and you know, I'm fully invested but I want to stay away from companies that are too highly levered, that have big fixed costs, because my worry is if that shock kicks in, those are the companies that are most likely to feel the impact.
2: Oswald, uh, I'd love to hear some more about those qualifications that you mentioned. I think you said that end of September, to your eye, the S&P was fairly valued. But is that based on the projections for the rest of the year that the companies have been making on revenue and earnings being stable? If... Demand does deteriorate during Q4. Uh, if holiday you know, isn't, isn't so rosy, does that then affect where you see things?
4: I actually knocked down earnings estimates by 15% because I think analysts are either in denial or they're slow in adjusting earnings to what's going on in the economy. Because if you look at what's happened to earnings estimates of the S&P 500 earnings over the course of this year, almost nothing has happened over the last nine months, notwithstanding all of the developments we've had. So I think in a sense, we are going to see earnings come in in the last quarter, which will reflect those those worries. I think you're going to see more negative surprises, partly because analysts have not adjusted fully. So I think we have to be ready for a rocky season Mm -hmm. on earnings on some of these companies because I think expectations are changing way too slowly on earnings.
3: Right. So then, Oswath, what goes into sort of your notion that the S&P, the Nasdaq were fairly valued Um, because you you just seem to mention that maybe it didn't take into account those earnings cuts. You also mentioned some of the recent market scares like Credit Suisse and the U.K. pension funds. What's the risk that something breaks here and we go another leg much lower?
4: And I think, in a sense, it reflects a separation. You know, what analysts think about earnings and what investors think about the market. The market seems to be incorporating a big drop in earnings. Analysts don't seem to be doing it. So it's not that the market is being in denial. It's analysts who are in denial. So I think, in a sense, what you're going to see is analysts catching up with the market rather than the other way around. No, and I think as I said the worries about those those catastrophic shocks I mean is one reason I steer away from companies where you know you worry about that shock tipping the company over I mean there are lots of banks that look incredibly cheap right now but rather than put my money in the cheapest banks, I'd buy a bank ETF because they're not all going to go under but there's a very real risk that some of these banks could face stress.
1: Yeah, what you're saying reminds me of what B of A said this morning. Uh, they said if the if the Bank of England put, and they say they're not out of the woods yet, yeah. were to fail, the risk is that it's akin to the Bear Stearns moment of 08, and that the mm-hmm. Fed facing a similar crisis would be a Lehman moment in their view. Yeah. Any risk rally is a good time to enter hedges. It sounds like yeah. that's exactly your playbook.
4: Yeah, and I think that's it, it's a prudent way to go. I mean, the analogy I would offer is like it's like having a house inspection of a of a house in the Florida coast and there's a hurricane coming. I mean, your house inspection first is to make sure your house will withstand the hurricane before you go in and ask, how old is the air conditioning? So I think that worry has to be brought into your valuation when you look at a company. You can't just look at something looking cheap and say, I'm going to put my money in there because that catastrophic risk has to be factored in.
3: Oswatha, stay with us. We're going to take a look at the IPO market and come right back to Now, it has been a tough few years for companies that have chosen to go public. Poshmark debuted in early 2021 at a valuation of around $3 billion. Shares began trading at $9,750 when the stock opened. That's right, almost $100. Bucks. Today, they are just under 18 as the South Korean internet giant Navarro announces it will acquire Poshmark for about $1.2 billion. Now, the recent downturn has essentially shuttered the IPO market with proceeds down 92% in Q3 from the same time a year ago. So what needs to change for the IPO market to open? Leslie Picker has a look at that. Leslie, it does feel like at least in the recent week, things are changing a little bit. You could argue maybe a tiny sign of thawing.
5: Yeah. Hey, if we want to look for the good news, uh, we can find it. There is indeed some good news and, of course, some bad news about the IPO market in the third quarter. We'll start with the good, though. The IPO drought is over. That's thanks to Corbridge Financial, AIG's life insurance unit. The company raised $1.7 billion, so far the largest IPO of the year, breaking a 125-day drought, which was the longest of the 21st century. That's according to PWC calculations that included IPOs of more than 25 million. dollars, And there's another sizable IPO on the horizon, Mobileye, the self-driving car unit acquired by Intel over five years ago, filed to go public once again. Reports suggest that it too could raise billions and even surpass CoreBridge's offering size. But the bad news is that despite these two green shoots, the overall IPO market is still very much in the gutter. A mere $2.4 billion worth of proceeds were generated in the U.S. in the third quarter compared with $30 billion over the same period last year. And recent IPOs, while higher today with the risk on sentiment in the overall market, you can see the Renaissance IPO ETF up 5.7%. They've seen their prices cut in half as exemplified by that ETF year to date. So to answer your question, DB, what needs to change for the IPO market to reopen? Well. Market stability and an investor sentiment shift are two really important characteristics here. IPOs perform well when fund managers are willing to make a risky bet on a new and untested company. And on the flip side, startups and sponsors want to maximize the amount of capital they raise and see strong aftermarket performance, which boosts employee morale. We're not seeing any of that in the current environment Quite yet, And in fact, General Atlantic CEO Bill Ford said at last week's Delivering Alpha conference that he thinks it could take, quote, several years to have a constructive IPO market again, guys.
1: Uh, that's, uh, that's a long time. Uh, Leslie, thank you. Uh, Leslie Picker, <laughs> with a great setup on the IPO market. Let's bring in NYU's uh, Swath motor at one more time. Several years, Professor, are you going that far?
4: No, I, you know, I think the the big story for 2022 has been the retreat of risk capital across the board from high yield markets, from uh, young companies. You see it not just in the IPO market, but in VCs. You also see it in original issuances of high yield bonds. I do think risk capital will come back, but I don't think it's going to go back to where it was in the last decade. I mean, let's face it, we had an excess of risk capital over the last decade. Things were being done that shouldn't have been done because you had too much capital available too easily. So I think risk capital will come back sooner than over many years it'll come back over the next few months maybe but you're not going to see the kinds of booms that you saw leading into covid or right after even when uh, you know you had hundreds of companies going public and young money losing companies being able to raise as much money as they wanted without any trouble. So I think it's a comeback but it's not going to be a full comeback to what we had in the last decade and that's a health that I think is the healthiest outcome.
2: Uh, Oswald, how do you read the recent volatility? I mean, we, we had what seemed to be uh, a bear market bounce over the summer, then just a few days ago or you know, earlier this week. When was it? Last week we had you know, this bond yield reaction, which is volatile. And, and now we've got this risk rally today, which is also kind of volatile. What is that telling us? Uh, about the setup as we head into Q4, and how far off that stability is that we've just talked uh, been talking about for IPOs.
4: I think the problem is the market can't get its you know its um, its arms around a story that explains everything that's going on because. In many ways, you saw the collapse in stocks over the second half of the summer. But at the same time, rates were up. It wasn't a panic environment where rates were being driven down. So I think until markets come to a consensus or at least a relative consensus. On a story that binds everything that's happening out there together, you're going to have these back-and-forth moments, You know, days like yesterday and today, combined with weeks like last week. I think uh, we're still struggling to figure out what exactly the story is that binds all of these different numbers together, and they're all pulling in different directions.
3: Yeah. So, Oswath, uh, let me ask you directly then, how are you feeling about unprofitable tech at large, the poster children of what you kind of described as that risk capital pandemic boom? We do have Kathy Wood on shortly. What would you ask her about how she is valuing some of these names in the long term?
4: I mean, I think that um, there's nothing inherently wrong about holding money losing companies. The question is how much they're dependent on external capital to keep going. The more dependent these companies are and having to raise more capital out there, the more I'd stay away from them. Because if risk capital is going to stay out of the game, at least to the degree that it has this year, those companies are going to be exposed as they go out and try to seek, seek capital. So you're looking at young money-losing companies that are closer to breaking even on cash flows. And that might be a fact that might be a screening variable that you throw in if you want to enter this space is make sure you're not buying companies that are going to run out of cash and not be able to raise the capital to keep going.
1: That's a good gut check, especially on a day where the rally gets the outsized attention, Professor. Thank you once again. Always good to see you. Thank you. To
3: and after the break, we mentioned it. ARK Invest, Kathy Wood is with us in an exclusive interview. Don't go away. That starts in just two minutes. Take a look at shares of Tesla. They're up more than 5% this morning after yesterday's sell-off. ARK Invest, Kathy Wood buying the dip here, scooping up roughly $32 million worth of shares for her innovation and next gen internet ETFs. Both funds are down nearly 60% year to date. Joining us now in ACNBC exclusive. ARK Invest CEO and Chief Investment Officer, Kathy Wood. Kathy, good to see you, and thanks for coming on with us. Um, let's start broad. October is certainly off to a strong start, and it feels like the Bulls are hoping that the Fed may not be as aggressive. Going forward, something that you've repeatedly called for. That sentiment did underpin the summer bear market rally, but ultimately led to new lows. What is your read of the moment of market sentiment?
7: Well, interestingly, uh, our strategy did not hit new lows, our our flagship strategy. Uh, And uh, that is is quite normal toward the end of a bear market. Uh, We did see the broader averages hit new lows last year uh, and yet we maintained our um, low which was actually back in mid-may innovation tends to be the new leadership as we move out of a bear market and if we're right and the feds close to pivoting whether in rhetoric or otherwise um, and they have a lot of reasons to pivot even more now after the ldi crisis in europe uh, we may have something similar going on here in the united states And we also have big deflation in the pipeline. Just one commodity price after another has been capitulating. And so that's at the beginning of the pipeline. And then at the end of the pipeline, we have inventories overwhelming companies. And we have a consumer that is uh, not playing ball as much as he or she was uh, before. So we think this, this holiday season is going to be quite tough and is going to include a lot of discounting. We believe that the Fed is going to be quite surprised at the deflationary pressures that start hitting the uh, headline inflation numbers during the next three to six months. So,
3: Kathy, are you anticipating an actual pivot or a pause? Does that happen sometime next year after what you say may be a rough holiday season? I mean, even though the Fed has said that they remain determined, they need to see more of this. Do you think that that's possible?
7: I think that the Fed is uh, looking not just at the economy now, which which is is pretty weak. and if you com- if you combine that with the notion that our major trading partners are in recession, uh, I'm sure they're on guard. But there are also signs that uh, there's distress out there in the financial services sector. We've been watching the credit default swaps of money center banks doubling and tripling and and you know in europe they're out to uh, all-time highs and uh so there are stresses and strains in the financial system that i'm i believe have begun to show themselves first with the ldi crisis in in the uk uh and and the reason this is happening is we are experiencing a major financial shock if you look at you know uh volcker is i mean uh Chairman Powell is invoking Volcker's name and his Keeping At It book title, uh, because uh, I think Chairman Powell thinks we have an inflation like we had in the 70s, 80s. Uh, Chairman Volcker increased interest rates from 10 to 20 percent in an inflationary environment. That's twofold. Uh, Chairman Powell and team have increased interest rates 13fold from their lows. And we believe when history books are written, uh, that economists will be looking back at this saying, wow, what a shock to the system. And so I believe credit default swaps are going up for a reason. And we will find out what those reasons are over time.
3: OK, different base there, though. But Kathy, let me ask you about some of your individual investments, uh, some of your largest holdings. You continue to buy shares in companies like Roku, TeleDog, Zoom on the belief that you said this many times, digital transformation will increase their value. Some argue, though, that some of these businesses are more like features. Uh, video calling, telehealth, they've become commoditized by bigger and better capitalized players like Amazon and Microsoft. What do you say to that? How does the valuation sort of account for that changing landscape?
7: Sure. Before I do that, Deirdre, I'd like to go back to what you said. Very low base. That's the whole point. (laughs) We're starting from a very low base. We were starting from a very high base before. So the shock to the system, especially after 10 to 12 years uh, of very low rates, is quite significant. So that's that's what I would say there. Okay. In terms of these other stocks, um, Zoom. Uh, Zoom and Microsoft are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of the first rip-and-replace cycle in the enterprise communication space, a half trillion, trillion space in revenue per year, um, because we are moving from on-prem and hardware-centric, which defines Cisco, And all of the companies that built out the uh, internet backbone. Excuse me. Um, And that started. That was that. That cycle was in the early 90s. We really haven't had much of an upgrade since then. Now Microsoft and uh, and Zoom, we would argue, are bringing uh, enterprise communications into the cloud, software centric. Uh, and a much better model. Uh, We think this is a very big idea. And those who have dismissed it as nothing but stay at home, we think are going to be quite surprised at the uh, reacceleration in revenue growth in the years ahead. This is an enterprise communications play, not a consumer play. Same with Teladoc. Many people say, oh, consumer, stay at home, done. No, Teladoc is building the information backbone, uh, which is going to unite... Uh, hospitals, doctors, insurance companies, and patients over time, and is well, going to uh, activate the data that it's getting with artificial intelligence so that we can move much more towards preventing disease or or discerning it much earlier, diagnosing it much earlier. Right.
2: Uh, well, yeah, Kevin, it seems like uh, Zoom's case might be even stronger if they had been allowed to buy 5.9 uh, as they were trying to shore up that their enterprise position. But Help me understand what you've been learning and where you were wrong up to this point. And correct me if I'm wrong anywhere here. It seems like you bought the dip in DocuSign, including the end of 2021. We're buying Adobe between October and March, Zoom all year, which we've been talking about, Shopify last Q4 through the first half of this year, but now you've exited Peloton, maybe Shopify. Um, What's with those shifts given the enduring trends? that you've been talking about?
7: Well, uh, you're, you're talking about some of our more specialized portfolios here. In terms of the uh, the flagship strategy, uh, we didn't own Peloton, uh, we didn't own Adobe, we did own DocuSign. We did not understand how, uh, how uh, competition was bearing down on DocuSign. And when, once we did, uh, we moved out of it. Now, let me help you understand what we do and how we do it. When our confidence in a a company and a stock uh, starts to uh, diminish, and it's based on a a scoring system, which importantly includes barriers to entry. When our confidence diminishes, what we do, and especially in a risk-off situation, is we concentrate our positions towards our highest conviction names. We've gone from 58 names to 33 names in the flagship strategy. And so we're selling the names Uh, taking losses there, but moving into stocks in which we have higher conviction, like the Teslas, like the Zooms, Rokus, Teladocs. So uh, I think you're cherry picking a little bit here uh, in terms of names that uh, really have done quite badly. Peloton was not a big holding of ARCs at all. We held some in the Next Generation Internet uh, Fund, uh, but we have exited it. And believe me, we had- Forgive me for- Sorry, John. Sorry, John. Yeah, uh, We have plenty of opportunity to diversify into names uh, where we have higher conviction, where our scoring system is much higher. And, th- and that's what I'm
2: going for. Forgive me for the cherry picking. But, you know, these are some popular stocks that uh, that retail investors have followed, uh, you know, popular investor names into. How do you do you need to redefine what important innovation is d- depending on The macro environment, for example, um, cybersecurity, you know, uh, CrowdStrike, I don't know how big your holding is there, uh, is a name that I know that you've continued to hold where perhaps to a smaller degree you exited Zscaler. Do you start to shift more toward those enterprise uh, names and essentials during a time like this?
7: Well, in this case, we're consolidating towards our higher conviction name in the cybersecurity space. So, yes, that's correct. In terms of how we define an innovation platform, we are very clear. Uh, An innovation platform has to meet three criteria. One, it has to be technologically enabled and following a learning curve, which is characterized by cost declines, which means that uh, as costs and prices go down, this technology will scale, most of them uh, towards mass market market, uh, category. Two, the the, uh, innovation platform has to cut across economic sectors for the reason I just said. And three, it has to be a a platform upon or a launching pad for more innovation. So in the case of DNA sequencing, and CRISPR gene editing, we couldn't have CRISPR gene editing, which is a real breakthrough, a real innovation without uh, DNA sequencing. So we could identify mutations. So we're very clear and disciplined in terms of how we define innovation. And uh, we center our research around Wright's law, which is a a relative of Moore's law in order to understand the learning curves and cost curve declines. And we've never seen more innovation uh, evolving Uh, uh, as we have today. Uh, Five innovation platforms, 14 different technologies, all of them following exponential growth trajectories, thanks to falling costs.
3: Kathy, really general question on valuation. How does that play into what you're picking up this year? I mean, I know that we saw these huge peaks last year in some of the names that you hold. Are you valuing them on the basis that they're going to get back to those peaks? Or how how do you look at that?
7: Yes, we have a five year investment time horizon. And the way we work with valuation is we assume that the high valuations that our companies uh, uh, have today, our stocks have today, that those will diminish to market like multiples within five years. So in essence, we have a 20% compound annual rate of headwinds associated with valuation compression why are we attracted to companies that seem to have high multiples today? Because yeah. they're investing aggressively now. They're minimizing actually their profits. Uh, and as the professor said in the segment before this, yeah. you know, we're, after a near death experience during COVID, most of our companies did secondary offerings. And so we are set for the next few years. Uh, and we are very disciplined on our valuations, I would I would suggest that we, based on this five year investment time horizon, are follow. Are, we are managing a deep value strategy. It has been the most maligned for the last eighteen months, as inflation fears and interest rates have mm-hmm. moved up, and we think that's going to unwind now. And what's so interesting is there's a triple short on our strategies. If you look at our flagship, yeah. there's a twenty percent short on it. Mm-hmm. There's a fund created just a short our flagship. Mm-hmm. People are so convinced that innovation is not going to work that they are betting against the underlying stock. So that's a triple short for us.
3: Yeah, but I, I don't know that they're
7: betting against everything. I think that when you talk
3: about these valuations, is it possible that all the names that you hold um, reach those peak valuations once again? Are they all going to be industry leaders or is it based on the idea that maybe you only need one
7: or two? No, we we are not like a venture fund. Although we just launched a venture fund uh, uh, in yeah. conjunction with Titan, who's distribution uh, distributing it. Um, uh, so we we believe that our multiples will actually come down, as I just mentioned, as our companies grow into their valuations and grow exponentially. And I'd also like just to mention, you know, we're so convinced that innovation is not only here to stay, but about to take off, As especially as the Fed pivots, that we've launched the venture fund with Titan, a crossover fund, giving access to all investors, whether accredited or non-accredited, access to private companies for the first time. We don't charge carried interest. You can get in for $500 minimum, not millions and millions of dollars. And then we've uh, launched uh, this week, uh, with our partner Eaglebrook, uh, the ARC Cryptocurrency Fund and the ARC Crypto Asset Fund, providing for the first time for, adv- uh, for advisors a really elegant and highly researched way to access three of the most important revolutions associated with this new asset class the money revolution, the financial services revolution and the the, uh, next generation internet revolution, which involves very importantly, digital property rights, which we think are going to be one of the biggest surprises uh, that this new digital world, this new asset class will deliver.
2: Yeah, and uh, thanks for bringing up crypto. That's where I wanted to go next with um, you making these actively managed crypto strategies available to more investors. How are you separating the innovation From, frankly, the fraud, Uh, Orlando Bravo uh, had a bit to say about this uh, over recent days, saying that the the standards in the crypto community um, were not as strong as he was used to in private equity. So as you make um, access to to crypto sort of more available, how how are you working with your partners to determine uh, what's safe and what's not?
7: well uh the the we have three analysts dedicated to crypto research and I would invite anyone to go on our site and take a look at at, at the excellent research highly differentiated research uh that Yasin Elmandra and his team we've been doing since 2015 we were the first uh, uh public asset manager to gain exposure to Bitcoin when it was Today, it's $20,000. We have been doing this research for a long time because we identified, uh, we believe correctly, uh, this uh, crypto as a new asset class, which uh, institutions and individuals uh, would be able to access so that they could diversify their portfolios and get uh, less correlated returns. Uh, So we've been doing the research for a long time. We're putting out a publication now called the Bitcoin Monthly. I think it will come out today or tomorrow. And you'll see how we're now using on-chain analysis. All of these networks Mm -hmm. in the crypto space that we're focused on are public. They're transparent. So we can look into the networks and see what's going on. And we had a really important test in this last meltdown with Celsius, Celsius. uh, going bankrupt effectively, what we yeah. saw there was the margin calls that took place on the public uh, networks. Yeah. They were met, and and it was the hedge funds who were left holding the bag. The more mm-hmm. opaque, mm-hmm. so I think the crypto asset world is first of all extremely exciting, right. and and highly transparent. Right. So we can we can bring the data and help our clients understand what they're investing in and why they're investing
3: in Kathy, quick last one for you. Um, I was looking, you've built up stakes of 9% and more in in several of your holdings, UiPath, Teladoc, Roku. That makes you the biggest or one of the biggest shareholders. How often are you talking to the management teams? And um, do you consider taking a more active role, especially since you've talked a lot about how innovative your research is?
7: We we are not activist investors. If we don't like what a company is doing, we'll sell the stock. Um, but in terms of we're in continual contact, of course, certainly around the quarterly reports. Many people think that just because we're long term in our focus, five years, that we don't uh, don't knuckle down and do the day to day work. We most certainly do top down, bottom up, and then a scoring system on top of it. So, uh, but what is uh, what is good and and interesting? We are now publishing our models on GitHub. Uh, We have uh, Tesla, Roku, and Zoom up there now. And when management teams see a five-year forecast like that, um, it's very gratifying to hear that they have sent our reports To everyone in their team to to uh, help understand, at least from one point of view, from a company whose research is focused only on innovation, what we think and how we think they're going to evolve. And, you know, it's great to talk to business development departments and just compare notes, you know, over a five year time horizon. There's no insider uh, uh, information here. It's just trying to figure out how the world's going to work. And it's great to compare notes and and. And try and feel our way towards this very exciting new future. Well, Kathy, we appreciate you coming on with us today. We'll talk to you again soon. You.
3: Kathy Wood. Our Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: News update time. Bertha Coombs has that for us. Bertha.
3: Hey, John. Here's what's happening at this hour. The number of job openings across the U.S. fell by more than a million in August. It was the biggest drop in nearly two and a half years. However, the labor market remains tight with 10.1 million jobs unfilled. Ford sales fell nearly nine percent in September.
5: That was more than expected, but Ford shares are jumping about seven percent. The car maker saying new vehicle demand remained strong and EV sales nearly tripled
3: during the month. Ford shares are still down 40 percent year to date. And an American is among the three scientists who won this year's Nobel Prize in physics. John Clauser and two others were honored for discovering quantum entanglement or how particles can become linked, or even when they are separated by large distances. Sounds like it would make a great Bond movie title, wouldn't it, Carl? Quantum Entanglement.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Bertha, Bertha Coombs. Coming up after the break, Meta making changes to its ad strategy as it looks to combat these iOS privacy changes. What that means for the stock as the S&P, a stone's throw from 3,800.
2: Major rally on our hands. Take a look at some of the names leading the way. DocuSign, Airbnb, both up, let's see, DocuSign up 5%. Airbnb up nearly 6%. Shopify is up more than 13%. Twilio up more than 9%. Major indices all up more than 2.5%. The NASDAQ is up more than 3%. On a more specialized level, the WCLD now up nearly 6%. Semiconductors, the Sox ETF up about 4.5%. They were top performers yesterday. Online retail ETF, ticker iBuy, up uh, just over 6.5%, Carl.
1: Ah, pretty outsized moves today, John. Uh, Meta, meantime, was hit hard, as you know, by these iOS privacy changes at Apple, which hurt the company's ability to effectively target ads. With the stock down nearly 60% for the year, Meta is now introducing some new tools for advertisers. Our Julia Borston has more on that. Hey,
6: Julia. Hey Carl, Meta has unveiled a series of new tools and ad formats to turn the areas where customers are spending time into new revenue and also to address those targeting challenges. And as the company looks to turn around revenue growth, which declined 1% in Q2, we should be looking out for ads in lots of new places. To tap into the growing popularity of Reels, which saw a 30% increase in engagement last quarter, Meta is launching new types of ads for Reels on Facebook and tools to make it easier for businesses to make ads for the format. It is also introducing a new place for ads on Instagram in the Explore tab. The company is also rolling out new AI-driven products to improve targeting, introducing a new targeting tool uh, and automation product to reach new and existing customers and improve brands' campaign performance. They're also bringing in AI to ads that prompt people to click to interact with brands on Messenger. Now, on Instagram, the company is also launching a beta test of augmented reality ads, both in the feed and stories. Brands will be able to use these to get people to see the likes of furniture in their home or to virtually test drive a car. Meta is saying that this is all part of a drive to introduce consumers to virtual interactions, the virtual interactions that will eventually become the metaverse. As it makes a big educational push for the metaverse, it's actually partnering. With Coursera to launch a course for both businesses and creators. John, as we look back at Meta's results last quarter, we saw the warnings about Q3 declining revenue in Q1. This all, to me, adds up to trying to find new places to generate revenue.
2: Yeah, it's been a rough go. Julia, thank you. Chip Names leading the market rally yesterday. Now Morgan Stanley giving us some of their top picks in that space. We're going to tell you what they are next. Stay with us.
1: Want to get a check on a couple of chip names. Morgan Stanley does name Taiwan Semi a top pick this morning, saying they anticipate a semiconductor cycle recovery in the second half of 23. And now is the time to go bargain hunting, they say. Elsewhere, Micron, you might have heard, pledged up to $100 billion for a new chip factory in upstate New York. It'll be the largest single private investment in the history of New York State. Shares up 5% on a pretty good tape today. Dow's up 740. Tech checks back in a moment.
2: Check in on Amazon. That stock is up, let's see, 5.5% in today's rally. It's a lot of analysts' top pick for 2022, as it is every year. Lately, Amazon entering its key Q4, biggest quarter for e-commerce sales, all kinds of commerce sales. Also, when cloud contracts are signed, here to discuss City Managing Director Ron Josie. Ron, welcome. So $185 price target, that's about the highs of the stock in 2021. So ah, what are you factoring in macro-wise and logistics-wise with the you know adjustments they've had to make in order to get you to that
8: price target? Hey, John. So good to have. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here with you. Um, a few things going on on Amazon. I think the first thing we have to remember, at least think about, is we hear negative headlines pretty much every single day around the consumer, around macro, interest rates, etc., but yet we also heard back to school was better. We heard management come out, granted, a few months ago saying prime member engagement is up. And now we're seeing just prime video becoming, in our view, more of an acquisition target for new prime members versus just retention. And so we put all that together. We think about where Amazon is on a um, Demand perspective from a user, from, from what users are using it more and more, we think greater wallet share. So that's on the retail side. You then go to the AWS side. And our view is that AWS continues to hold up extremely well. And we should see continued 30% growth rates. And frankly, our, our overall price target is based on around 20 times EBITDA, which doesn't seem as much of a stretch on 23 numbers. And, and we think the business is becoming more efficient. So that, that, that's more specific on just valuation. But the trends underlying the business seem to be in pretty good shape from our perspective.
2: I wonder how you factor in things like uh, logistics costs, which uh, Amazon often will, will ramp up you know, in, investment in. Um, you know, Inflation has been a stubborn issue, continues to stick around. And if you've got declining consumer demand overall, even if Amazon's doing particularly well, they've still got some fixed costs to take care of and salaries they've just hiked. Uh, how are investors, you think, going to overlook that? to to get you to that price target uh, if that continues to unfold in 23
8: yeah well clearly a lot has to go a lot has to go right overall and we heard last week they're they're actually raising their i think minimum wage or average wages that that would add about a billion dollars in costs or so um that was per press release and so all that is is taken into account in how we think about it but i think the number one thing that we get back to when it comes to efficiencies is you have to remember back in one Q they were talking about, or in four Q actually, they're talking about six billion dollars of incremental costs for this first quarter in one Q of 22. As they exit here in three Q, that six billion is whittled down to about two, two and a half. And and of the six, you know, two billion of that was due to headcount and inflation our headcount. Uh, two billion was due to fulfillment tenders, and we know this, and the other two count around inflation. There's a lot of concern that they could even get that down to a manageable amount, particularly on the warehouse side, and, and yeah. Yeah, frankly, we think they're doing that.
2: Yeah, uh, I thought they might be able to. Uh, they're pretty efficient over there. Ron, thank you. Ron, yeah.
8: thank you, John.
3: And as we had to break, check out the biggest winners on the NDX this week. Mercado Libra leading the way. You've also got Dexcom and ASML Lucid in there. We're on this market rally in a moment. We'll be right back.
1: Markets hanging on to gains here. Dow's up 7.25 or so. Still trying to knock on the door of 3,800, whether it was the calendar shift, the jolts data, VIX below 30. Uh, Paris and Frankfurt are going to close up 4% today. We'll be right back.
7: Zoom and Microsoft are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of the first rip and replace cycle in the enterprise communication space. This is a very big idea. And those who have dismissed it as nothing but stay at home, we think are going to be quite surprised at the uh, reacceleration in revenue growth in the years ahead.
3: That was, Kath, that was ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, earlier this hour, making the case for Zoom and Microsoft. John, the expected price estimate for 2026 for Zoom is $1,500. It's currently just sub $80. The bear case is $700. So you'd have to see a very large acceleration for that.
2: Yeah, Carl, not so much that uh, it's a matter of bad stocks, but there are bad prices.
1: A fascinating day, guys. Glad we had that chat with Kathy. Dow's holding on to gains. Let's get to Frank Holland and the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.